Hello and welcome to the Bad Asian Podcast, the world's most inconsistent podcast, where we'll start off talking about Asian things and we'll slowly devolve into self-indulgent thought exercises. We are recording from Canal Street Radio in production with Listening Party. So go on Instagram and give them a follow at Listening Party Presents and Canal Street Market. I want to give a shout out to everybody who's been supporting the podcast. Um, go on iTunes, give us five stars, and please leave a comment. It helps the podcast grow. And if you are listening uh, to this podcast on a mobile device, just take a screenshot, tag at the Bad Asian Show on Instagram, and we'll share it on the stories. Uh, that being said, I'm your host, David Nguyen. Emron is not here right now. He is currently being a rocket scientist, doing rocket scientist shit. So, um, But I do have a special guest. He is a poet, author, doctor, if his bio, <laughs> if I'm reading your bio correctly. He has a PhD. The wrong kind of doctor. Yeah, uh, the bad Asian kind of doctor. <laughs> Jason Koo, everybody. Hey, thank you for being here today. Hey, thank uh, you for having me. So I met Jason a couple of months ago on a panel discussing Asian masculinity. Um, it was a good conversation. Uh, we had Donald previously, and I just want to follow up with everybody I met on that <laughs> <laughs> panel and just talk a little bit more because while they did give us a lot of time to discuss, I feel like, you know, there's some things that could be fleshed out a little bit more. Sure, sure. Uh, a little bit background about Jason. He grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, how do you feel about the Cleveland Browns right now? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mention that because I was watching that game last night and uh, I think it was up until 3 or 3.30 after the game. <laughs> Uh, just kind of thinking about what went wrong. It's really a sort of a typical, a sadly typical start to this season. I mean, I just, I can't ever remember being this hyped about a Cleveland team. Anyway, that's how it feels to be from Cleveland. So, <laughs> I, yeah, it's funny I'm here now because I, I was wondering if you're going to ask me about that. It's just like a f perfect encapsulation of what it feels like to be from Cleveland, I think. Explain a little bit more. If you guys don't know uh, anything about football, Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns, historically bad team, bad management, uh, historically heartbreaking, but with one of the most loyal fan bases yeah. in all of sports. It's Football City. I believe the Football Hall of Fame is somewhere in Ohio. Canton. Yeah. Canton. So that's how much um, it means to the people of Ohio. Yeah, it's not just, and it's not just the football. I mean, it, for me, I mean, for, I guess for some Clevelanders, it's mostly football. But for me, they have the baseball team, the Indians. They have the Cavs, who thank, thankfully won a title in 2016. But uh, it's just been a collective disaster for the most part in the city since uh, 1964 for the Browns. I mean, historically, the Browns were actually one of the most successful franchises before they fired Paul Brown. They just haven't won anything since the NFL started having Super Bowl. So they've never won a Super Bowl, but they, they won many championships before that. But then, you know, Art Modell moved the city, moved the, <laughs> the team, moved the city, moved the team to Baltimore, which has gone on to be a really stable, successful franchise. And then since we got the expansion team back, we've just been historically terrible for 20 years. Uh, the Cavs did good, <laughs> but have just had the soap opera with LeBron James going on. So even while they've been good and won a title it was still kind of excruciating to watch yeah, can you uh, describe what it's like to be a Cle like a fan from cleveland just that yeah. kind of is despair the right word or is it the thing is it's not total despair because uh i mean i guess when i was growing up in the so i moved we moved to we were first grew up in toledo and then we moved to cleveland around 85 86 like suburbs of cleveland on the east side it's cleveland like the big city in ohio 
Uh, yeah, that in Columbus, I guess, or Cincinnati. But everyone hates Cincinnati. <laughs> Why is that? My girlfriend's from Cincinnati. I mean, is it the chili? Because that's what I figured. <laughs> okay. They have the Bengals and the Reds. I mean, it's just not, nothing to do there. Anyway, I'm not really Well, what's care. there to do in Cleveland? There is, first of all, a great art scene. They got great museums. They got a great orchestra. It's just uh, there's, oh, a, I, there's a better food scene. Yeah, my previous guest, they said there's like a great dance school there. Yeah. So, okay. And the sports teams have a more colorful history. So, like, that's the thing. It's not all despair. That's what gets mm-hmm. you. It's like they, they do really well, and they draw you in, and they make you fall in love with them. Like, all three of these teams have done that. And then they just will have these excruciating losses that uh, just seem to defy categorization. Like, like, how is it even possible that they're losing this way? Does, do you think the culture of Cleveland informs the teams, or is it vice versa? <laughs> it's like a, is it a catch? Like it's, probably, it's probably vice versa. Okay. Yeah. So, like, the team causes Clevelanders. It's funny. That's a great question, because they seem to feed off each other sometimes. Uh-huh. So sometimes I have to catch myself, because I'll just find myself being really negative. Like, right now, the, the Indians are fighting for their wildcard lives. They're tied for the second wildcard. And that's my number one team. I mean, I'm a football guy, but, like, baseball is my, my main sport. So I'm, like, watching every game that I can, and uh, and often I'll just feel really negative about our chance. Just like, I've seen this movie before, you know, and, like, we've n- we haven't won a baseball title since 1948. So I'm already 43, so I feel like I'm possibly halfway or more than halfway <laughs> to the end of my life. So it's in play now that I may die before we win a title. Or <laughs> maybe, like, a decade ago, I was like, well, we'll probably win one, you know, but... We've gotten close in 95, 97, and 2016. And, and the closest we got was 2016 and 1997. So that sort of makes me think, do I have to wait another 19 years for us to be excruciatingly close again and then lose? Because those are the two times we got to game seven. Uh, yeah, so I do think definitely, and you can feel it in the crowd sometimes. When mm-hmm. There's a big game and the, the team starts playing badly, whatever the sport is, like the crowd starts getting really cynical and negative. Like last night I was at Brother Jimmy's, which is this Cleveland bar, and like the guy next to me was swearing at the television, like, fuck you, Baker, you suck. And it's just like, I'm like, come on, dude. Like, even I'm not that negative. But the, and then, you know, fans were booing it to the end of, at the mm-hmm. end of the game, apparently. And that's, that's just terrible. It's a, it's a bad look. It's not good for the players. And I definitely feel like the team and the city kind of feed off each other. So, like, when things start to go badly, the, the fans start getting tight, and then the players get tight. And it's just a, it's a vicious cycle that's not good. Growing up in Ohio, <laughs> was there a strong need to be part of a sports team, like in your traditional Americana pop culture, where, yeah. like, if you're in high school... It's like, oh, my God, I have to make a team. Otherwise, I'm going to be a dork. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely – I mean, I definitely felt that. I don't know how – I mean, obviously, like, you can grow up in Ohio and not watch sports and not be into it. But I definitely felt it, I think. This is some of what I think I talked about on that panel, or at least I think I talked about it. Definitely feeling like a strong need even, not even just a desire, but a need to follow sports as a way to sort of – if not attain, at least sort of uh, represent a certain kind of masculinity, uh, masculinity to get within a certain kind of idea of what that is and sort of be in with certain guys. Because, like, that's what all the guys would talk about. Mm-hmm. They'd either be talking about girls or they'd be talking about sports, right? It's not like anyone was talking about poetry <laughs> or politics or things like that. So, um, And also just being very lonely as an Asian guy, especially because I moved a lot. You know, we moved from New York to Toledo, then we moved from Toledo to Cleveland. And even within Cleveland, I changed schools multiple times from fourth to fifth grade then to sixth grade then again from eighth grade to ninth grade i changed schools like that many times oh yeah i know what that's like uh yeah. from kindergarten through seventh grade or sixth grade i 
had a different school every every year because we moved around Man, so that's much. Even more insane. Yeah, so <laughs> I was always like the new kid in class. Yeah, and it's really hard. It's so hard because like you you'll meet like I think as far as my ability to socialize, it peaked in the first grade because like that was the last time I remember I can just walk up yeah. to anybody and have friends. And yeah. then second grade is like I, I I forgot how to do this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that yeah. sounds even rougher than what I had. So, and it's interesting you bring that up because it was fifth grade for me where. That was, I changed schools from fourth to fifth grade. That was the last time I felt really comfortable in mm-hmm. school, I think, until I guess maybe college, but college is different, right? And it was fifth grade in particular, that's when I got into sports, right? So, like, that class that I was in, for whatever reason, like, they were super into baseball in particular, but also football and basketball. So, that's when I got into baseball. Like, I remember opening day, all the kids had, like, they, you remember Walkman? <laughs> They all had brought their Walkman with them and to listen to the game, even though they obviously were not allowed. They were just kind of doing it on the sly. And eventually the teacher got so sick of it. She just like, she said, just like, fuck it. She just like got a television and brought it in at the end of the day <laughs> just so we could watch part of the game. Because you know, it was like an afternoon game. And of course they were getting crushed. And then they went on to lose over 100 games that year. And they were picked by Sports Illustrated to be like the World Series winner that year. So I was like really entranced by that. Uh-huh. Like, what is this community... Here's this class that I love. Like, I remember the first day of that school, I sat down. I didn't know anybody, and I was kind of terrified. And I remember my dad walking away. He had dropped me off, and he just looked very concerned because I think he could see how, how sad I looked. And then this kid named Jim just sat across from me. This is the last time anything like this has ever happened, I feel like. And he's just like, was just determined to be my friend and to just, like, include me because he, he had known him. He, you know, he, was, he had been at that school a long time. Um, and I think because of the community I felt with those people and then seeing how into sports they were like, that's really another thing that got me into sports. I was like, well, sports must have more of this and that's what I need because I'm kind of lonely as it is. And I'm lonely within my own family because I was the only son and I felt kind of alienated. Oh, did way. you have a bunch of sisters? I had two sisters. I oh, was the me middle too. Child. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably why we're both on that panel. Oh uh, yeah. They checked our backgrounds. Like, lonely. <laughs> Get them uh, on this yeah. panel. That's but how yeah. our masculinity developed. <laughs> Between sisters. I mean, I got into sports because my dad watched a lot of sports, and it's, like, the only way I could communicate with him. Because, like you said, we're not going to talk about politics or anything of substance. He wasn't into cartoons (laughs) the way I was into. Um, Imagine that. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, like, uh, my parents were also divorced. So, like, when it would be his time to, like, watch over the kids, I'd just go over to his house, and he'd just have the TV on. And it's like... Well, I'm either going to be bored or I'm going to learn what this is all about. <laughs> so I just watch, start watching sports with them. Yeah. And then from that, I was able to, I like, just, uh, I like sports because it's one of those things where um, you can just make a connection with any stranger. Like, exactly. predominantly, if they're dudes, yeah. you're going to be like, hey, uh, are you into fantasy? That's true. And then, like, you can have, like, a three-hour mindless conversation. Yeah, and it's kind of – I mean, last night I went to this bar. I was I thought I was going to meet two friends of mine, and then they both just, like, peaced out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of them, like, took a nap and fell asleep. But uh, I ended up just standing at the bar next to this this older guy mm-hmm. who – and we were just for the probably the first – we were first watching the, the baseball game, which was ending, and then the Browns game. And we were just chatting for, like, two hours before we even exchanged names. And I was thinking, like, wow, this guy actually – because you meet a lot of sports fans. They're kind of idiots. <laughs> they don't, they're barely watching the game. They don't really know what's going on. They just say a lot of dumb things. But this guy could tell really knew his, knew his stuff. And eventually at halftime, I asked him, I was like, so, like, what's your name? Like, uh, are you from Cleveland? He was like, yeah, I'm John from the Cleveland area. And then we started talking about, like, where I went to school. He's like, where would you go to high school? And I went to the school he called, called University School. It's an all-boys private school. And he was like, yeah, that's where I went, too. I knew you went there. 
And he was just like, oh. bizarre. He was, I was like, how did you know I went there? He's like, you just seem smarter than everyone else in this room. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he meant about sports. It's yeah, not like yeah. we were talking about anything else. Yeah. But uh, is that kind of identification that, I mean, I think the people that, that trash on sports or hate sports, like, mm-hmm. it's totally fine if you're not in sports. I get it. But I, I do feel like you kind of miss out on that instant feeling of, like, connection with people that, that you can also have with, obviously, like, poetry or politics or something. But it's a little different with sports because, like, you're all watching the same games, yeah. you know, and, like, you're rooting for the same thing. And you're doing that over, like, decades. Right. And that's very, like, you know, and, like, I meet another poet. It's not like we're all rooting for the same poets. It's, yeah. like, a very solitary activity. And politics is also sort of, like, similarly divisive, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't, f- even when you're talking to, like, another Democrat or something, like, it doesn't feel like you're always rooting for the same thing. Whereas with sports, it's like, especially if you're from Cleveland, you're like always reading for that same thing. So it's like you're emotionally invested. Sometimes you're financially invested if you <laughs> buy the merchandise. But yeah, it's spending like, money at bars on yeah, beer, yeah. bad beer, and bad it's, food. It's what I observe from like women is that they can instantly strike up a conversation by it's like, I like your eyeshadow. It's like, I like your shoes. And then it's like, where'd you get it? And it's like, oh, I got it here. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's like, true. like uh, who who does your makeup? It's like, what technique do you do? And like, they can go on and start to have conversation and build a rapport with, like, with guys. It's like, for me, a lot of success is just like, you want a fantasy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you play fantasy football? It's pretty much but sports. I'm starting to notice uh, it's less prevalent now because like, you know, just the company that I keep, they tend not to, and it's, a lot of it is Asian guys. It's yeah. like 50-50. It's like, it, 50% of, like, the Asian guys uh, I hang out with aren't into sports. And, like, they're the ones I'm closest with, too. Yeah. Which is frustrating because it's, like, this is this whole aspect of my life that is, like, oh, I can't have this conversation with you. Like, the person I want to talk to the most. Yeah. So I got to, you know, talk about cartoons. Again, cartoons. cartoons. <laughs> There's always cartoons with these people. <laughs> so either anime or just r- regular American cartoons or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Or politics or, you know, things that are perceived to have more substance. Yeah. It's weird that way. I'm interested. I'm it's interesting that you have that observation. Like, I, I do think, like, maybe there is, like, a time shift. Because, like, definitely growing up, I, that's why I got into sports. I thought mm-hmm. everyone was into it. Like, boys are supposed to like yeah. sports. Like, all through high school. And yeah. then when I got to college, it was immediately different. Like, the people I felt closest to. I mean, maybe that's just because I got into the arts. And I thought, you know, obviously, it's not everyone in the arts is into sports. Yeah, that's but frustrating, too. it became very <laughs> rare, right? Yeah. Like, I was just, like, meeting a lot of people. They were just like, why would you watch sports at all? Like, they just thought I was crazy to be into that. Mm-hmm. And then I started feeling like I had, I was starting to have two different friend groups. Obviously, there was like a few, there was some crossover, mm-hmm. but that continues to today. Um, I would say like the Asian guys I know, most of them are in sports because they were, they're from Cleveland. So that's kind of like when we talk, we, we actually like don't really talk about anything else. Yeah. That's usually what we talk about. So I don't know, but. I mean, I'll go back and forth yeah. with it. Like some, like, um, again, like I have the friends who uh, I'm closest with who don't follow sports, but like. I'm closest with them. And then the friends who I do talk about sports with is like, we don't have like that strong of a personal connection. Right. So when I'm hanging out with them and they're just going on and on about sports, it's like, this has been five hours, guys. <laughs> We're debating like, you know, <laughs> just who's better, the 49ers or the Raiders. Like, there's no way we can definitively say one, yeah. but like the, it gets so passionate. It's like, all right, I'm going to check out <laughs> of this. It's like, it's too much. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I have other interests too. Yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, I, I really don't. <laughs> but it's like, this is, this is, after a while, it becomes a little uh, fruitless, you know? Like, uh-huh. it's fun talking shit, yeah. making fun of other, <laughs> making fun of your friends for liking a shitty team or what you perceive to be a shitty team, yeah. uh, and then seeing them sad. But then after a while, yeah. it's like, all right, let's, let's move on. Have you noticed, though, that, I mean, this is definitely true for me, like mm-hmm. the guys that I have felt, I have formed the deepest connections with, like the, the guys that I think of are my best friends. 
they, uh, they, a lot of them have different interests. Some are in the arts, some are in writing, some are in other fields. Like one of them is a tango dancer. One of them has like a production, like a film and media production company. Mm -hmm. But like the common thread, and one is like in advertising. Mm -hmm. Or actually two of them are in advertising. But the common thread is sports, right? So I feel like the deepest connections I have, that's sort of like the ground level. Mm -hmm. And then we, and that's not necessarily the thing that we first connected with or through. Uh, but that sort of is one main interest, and then we have a lot of other interests in common, but, like, all of them, like, I can talk about sports with, mm -hmm. and they immediately, there's a common language, mm -hmm. and then we have other types of common language, but the people that I don't share that with, it's, they're not my deepest, <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm only realizing this now, like, they're sort of on my, what I think of as, like, a sort of not like there's an inner and outer circle. It's not like I'm, my friendship is that important. But I definitely feel... I think there feel are tiers of friends. <laughs> that's true. But I definitely feel like less close to them simply because like maybe we only talk about poetry. We only talk about a certain set of interests and mm -hmm. then like we don't have this other thing that, that runs much deeper, you know? It just could be like, hey, uh, I feel like it's more of a complete conversation Yeah. because we can discuss everything. Yeah. As opposed to like, all right, I have... It's like to cater to your interest. I right. have to like shut. Like, I know. I, like this is this thing is not available to you. Right. Like you I'm know? only going to talk about poetry. It's like I love poetry, but right. you know, I only started doing that when I was like 19, really. Mm -hmm. Where sports, I was doing since I was like 13. Yeah. You know? And it's that too. It's like you have a longer relationship with sports yeah. than you do with most of your friends. Yeah. Exactly. And there's a deeper emotional pain there. Like, I don't have any emotional pain about poetry. Mm -hmm. Like, I use poetry to write about my emotional pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas sports is something that I've had, like, an emotional relationship with since I was, like, over 30 years, you know? That's crazy. Yeah. That's, and like, three quarters of my life, you know? Yeah. And uh, if we're going to go into a conversation about masculinity, it's one of the acceptable forms of uh, <laughs> like feeling and expressions that you're allowed to have like openly right so it's like you're not allowed to cry if you're a boy unless your team <laughs> suffers a terrible heartbreaking loss yeah. like okay you can cry and then it's like poignant <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> so oh my god he just loves his team so yeah, much it's exactly. okay to cry he's like but like you know if uh his girlfriend leaves him or his parents got divorced <laughs> it's like come on let's yeah you're, like, you're making it awkward. What a loser. <laughs> yeah. You're such a girl. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, to express joy, um, audible joy and excitement, like giddiness, is yeah. like, you know, if uh, if your team kicks a game-winning field goal, then yeah. you're allowed to jump around like a yeah. child. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like, you know, you know keep it under wraps. Settle be down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Be calm. Yeah, be calm. Be stoic. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, weird. Otherwise, it's like the acceptable forms of uh, expression for guys is anger. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, true. I mean, I had, again, I hadn't really thought about it. It is really weird that, is that, do you think that's the only acceptable, like, outlets for joy and grief for guys is through sports? Is there anything else? Um, Maybe not. Some form of competition, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, like, what else? Like, any kind of feeling of accomplishment. Like, yeah. if you got a raise or... Yeah. It has to be... The things are few and far between, like the yeah. day your child is born right. or the day so maybe, your yeah. father dies. Yeah, I can think of like family stuff, yeah, right? But on a regular day-to-day -day basis, it's like right. you kind of have to hold it in until Sunday yeah. when yeah. your team does one or the <laughs> other and then you just kind of let it all out. It's like, okay, and maybe that's why men yeah. enjoy sports so much. It's like, oh my God, it's that sweet, sweet release. That's true. Yeah, and it's almost like if you show emotion, mm -hmm. 
you know, like, why can't you show? Like, I, I don't think, like, a male should obviously, like, express, like, physical anger or something like that. Like, but, like, why can't you show anger? Like, there are times, and this happens with, within relationships, too, where, like, I'll just get upset about something. And it's not like I'm even... It won't even have to be, like, if I can understand, like, if it's directed at my partner and then mm-hmm. she gets mad, like, she's totally within her right to be like, look, don't don't get mad at me. But sometimes I'm just angry mm-hmm. about something. And, like, I've had partners just be like, you know, like, you know, you're shouting. And I'm just like, why is that not okay? Like, can oh, I be really for, mad? Yeah, no. For women, uh, their mind goes to he's going to hit me. Yeah, no, and I get yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, I do yeah, get yeah, that. Yeah. But that's it's weird like that, right? Because that's our, like, our culture of masculinity. It's like it's not acceptable unless... You're with other guys following sports. <laughs> right. At a game or yeah. at a bar. Well, yeah. like, I think for guys, if, if you express anger in any environment out, outside, like a dungeon or a gym, <laughs> right? The fear is he's going to hit. He's yeah. going to hit something. Right. And it's going to be me. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's you know, true. That's sad. Regardless, if, regardless of gender. Like, yeah. if a guy is angry in public, you're like, you're... Uh, fight or flight or freeze right. instinct kicks in. It's like, yeah. all right, what's going to happen? we got to calm this person down because right. we all know just, you know, you can just know from uh, personal experience. It's like, yeah, when a guy's angry, that's trouble. Like no good positivity has ever come from a <laughs> man, angry man. Yeah. I'm just like, look, I need to vent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's absolutely. what I do. Yeah. Like, I don't hit people. I might hit like the table. Mm-hmm. Like a couple of weeks ago, my mm-hmm. hand was like swollen because I was like <laughs> yeah. slamming my hand on the table during a particularly bad Indians game. But <laughs> but again, it's like, hey, how come men are taught to express anger through physical yeah. expression? Women even, probably do it too, but yeah. like, I'm less observant of that. But then, do you think we're taught though? Like, no one taught me to like hit a table when I'm angry. Uh, I'm pretty sure you <laughs> learn it through um, culture, just yeah. uh, watching television. Like, right. If you yeah. think about like how men express anger in um, just in general, it's right. like how would you display it? It's like you know, you, if you That's prefer true. to draw a cartoon of an angry man, he's yeah. flaying all around, That's true. red face, steaming. Yeah, he's not like going within himself and yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> channeling his anger. Right, 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 right. It's like, um, whereas you know, if uh, if you were to draw a character of a woman being angry, it's just shouting, <laughs> right? Yeah, but uh, I do that too. Oh, absolutely, but like, uh, but like the way we view women's anger is like shouting, and then they'll hit you. But because you're men are generally bigger than women like when they hit you it it hurts but like you know you're supposed to be able to accept that pain even though it hurts yeah Yeah. it's bad for guys it's bad luck growing up in the midwest how many asian people were you around (laughs) well i mean i was definitely around some but Mm -hmm. uh it's funny i was listening to the the pod with uh, donald right Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you guys are, he's from the Midwest, too? He's from the South, yeah, Florida. But he, I remember you asking him about, like, how many Asians he was around. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's not as if I was, so the schools I went to, and this is something we talked about on the panel, were predominantly white, I would say. Uh, but there were, there were Asians, and, of course, we would all kind of, we'd hang out together, and our parents would know each other. And a lot of the Asians I knew were, were particularly, they were also Korean, so. Ooh, uh, are you a Christian? No, but that's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, they were all from Christian families, and my parents are Buddhist. So, and they raised us not even to be Buddhist. Mm-hmm. So, we kind of had this sort of, which in a way is Buddhist, <laughs> we, we had this sort of no religion for a while. Although it was odd because we, me and my older sister also started K through three at this Catholic school <laughs> in Toledo. 
that they sent us to because they, I, I guess they thought it was a good school. But that we would, they would instruct our teachers that we were not to be like, Indoctrinated. Yeah, <laughs> but, but we would have religion class, so I was still studying that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I still got that kind of iconography, but it was weird because, like, all the other students were, like, doing First Communion and stuff, but we were not doing it. So Did it make you want to do it? Yeah, kind of, because I was like, I want that fucking wafer, you know? <laughs> so, or it's like, I don't want to be excluded. Give, yeah. me that, give me that Jesus well, exactly. body. Exactly. So, like, it was already alienating, K-3, yeah. right? And then we, again, I started, and then I started moving, changing schools, right? So that was further alienating. And then within those schools the Asian kids I knew and then particularly the Korean kids I knew like I would know them and kind of almost be forced to be friends with them not that they were bad people like I was friends with them but it was because our parents knew each other Mm -hmm. but then I wasn't hanging out with them a lot because they were hanging out with other Christian Korean kids and I wasn't doing that Mm -hmm. on the weekends and I wasn't even aware that was really happening until I think late in high school where they talking about like just Christian things all the time well it's not that it's just like I noticed that they had social groups like in particularly involving girls Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I went to an all boys high school and like I didn't have like a social group outside of like other sort of Asian nerds that I was hanging out with (laughs) like at the mall or something can you describe a Midwestern Asian nerd yeah, like we just were like into video games okay. and like Star Wars and we would hang out at the mall and like watch movies together. I was actually, I don't know if you know James Park, the founder of Fitbit, but he was one of my friends in high school. Oh, crazy. Yeah, I haven't talked to him since high school, <laughs> but that's like one like famous person I know from Do you school. watch Stranger Things? Yes, I do. Is it, was it like that? <laughs> Uh, not quite like it wasn't quite that nerd now. Okay. Yeah, we weren't even th- that cool, really. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of think those kids are actually pretty cool, like for from what I see from like their friend group. But like it was kind of like we all would go to the mall and yeah. kind of we all kind of I feel like kind of knew we were a little sad <laughs> because yeah I didn't have a lot of friends so uh, and we it's not like we were meeting girls or anything it's mm-hmm. like we weren't doing any of that stuff so yeah that's what it was like with my uh, relationship with Asians <laughs> growing up. And then college, it was kind of the same, too, hmm. you know. But you, I mean, there it was different because, like, I was forming my own friend groups and I was meeting more white people. And uh, a lot of the artistic people I was meeting were not Asians, you know. They were, they were just, like, white people interested in poetry. Uh, are Asians not interested in poetry? I mean, not a lot of Asian males. Like, I don't know if you've, if you've seen that or thought about it, but there's not... I mean, there's some Asian women. Uh, like, I would say, if you if you think about, like, who are, specifically in poetry, like, mm-hmm. who are the Asian poets? Like, most of the people, people most of the poets people know are Asian women. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you have Ocean. Yeah, <laughs> but he, and he's, like, the one sort of, like, celebrity today. Mm-hmm. I guess if, if you think of, like, are there literary celebrities? But, but there's still not many, you yeah. know? There's, like, uh, I can probably count them on two hands total, like, not just poets, but other kinds of writers. But then specifically for me, like Korean male writers who are straight, it's like I can count them on less than one hand. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like one half of one hand. It's pretty, it feels pretty lonely out there. Like there's not a lot. So the ones that I meet who are, have a similar sort of like background, like they're they're interested in women. Like, you know, I love Ocean, but I don't connect with, you know, it's a different kind of sensibility, right? Like, uh, but like, so the, the people like that you wouldn't I mean. go to oceans like, hey, you you in a fantasy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean he, he's not straight, and I am. And it's, it's not like I, we can't connect about anything, uh-huh. but it's just different. Whereas, yeah. like, if I'm meeting another guy who is straight, it's just like there are different things that I write about that we're going to connect over, like different experiences of masculinity. 
and uh, there's not a lot. And the ones that I do meet are not Korean, you know. So that also is a, a what a are they? They're usually Chinese or they're okay. Filipino. Oh, yeah. Okay. Those are the ones that I've met the most. I don't know a lot of Japanese male poets either. You would think there would be more because they invented the haiku. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that becomes a joke with me because my last name is Ku, so all my students will make that joke at some <laughs> point. They'll be like, oh, hi, Ku. How are you? And I'm just like, really? <laughs> You're going to make a joke about the. So did you have a sense of Asian culture growing up? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's, that's a great question. It's, it was interesting. I mean, I feel like it was more uh, indirect, if anything, okay. because so I don't know how, if you're, what your upbringing was like, but like my, so my parents were immigrants from South Korea, but, mm -hmm. and it, I think at first they were teaching us Korean at home too, but at one point they stopped. And I remember that day actually pretty specifically, because I think my mom started to get worried because we were, both me and my older sister were really... <laughs> kind of rebelling against it because we'd have to go to like weekend like Sunday school mm -hmm. to like learn Korean mm -hmm. and we were Can you not speak Korean now no barely you know so then there was a particular day I remember my mom made she made the executive decision to stop and I think it was partly like we were just like throwing temper tantrums about it because we were I think it was more like we were not enjoying the other Korean kids like we were not getting along with them and we we're not getting along with the teacher and I think she was really concerned about, like, Americanizing us. Like, she did not want us to have a Korean accent. Mm -hmm. So she had the whole end game in mind. She's like, you're going to go to a private school, you're going to go to an Ivy League school, and you're going to speak perfect English, and you're going to get a great job. And, <laughs> and you nailed and it. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, and this was before the, you know, so I guess the sort of multicultural age where parents started to see that there was cachet and, like, knowing multiple languages. Like, back in her generation, like, they didn't see that. Yeah. Right? It was like, you need to learn English well to get a good job here. So I, I don't know exactly when that was, probably around when we were like six or seven. Mm -hmm. uh, so we stopped. But then I tried to learn on my own and kind of failed. <laughs> like I tried to take it in college and again had a similar issue where like it's the thing is it's like it's not just the language. Like you need to kind of be socialized with Korean groups. So mm -hmm. like I would take these Korean classes and, and all the kids seemed to already know each other. Mm -hmm. And then the teacher there was like a tension with her because I think she automatically <laughs> didn't respect me because she could tell like I didn't learn it at home. And like, obviously she should have been teaching me because mm -hmm. like I'm the one that needed it the most. Yeah. But uh, I had issues with her. And then again, my mom kind of stepped in, was just like, look, I don't think you should take this. Like, cause you know, she's like, oh my God, you got to be in Korean your first semester of college. Like, so then I ended up taking fucking Latin. <laughs> Because Latin was super easy for me, and I was, like, really into writing already. So yeah. I was just, like, killing my English classes. But she's like, I don't think you should take Korean. So it was interesting. Like, she was kind of making these moves for me that actually sort of unwittingly pushed me more and more into what I was doing. And then, of course, that ended up sort of backfiring because she, of course, did not want me to become a poet mm -hmm. or a professor. But uh, she was actually kind of making these executive decisions that were sort of pushing me in that realm, which... I guess in large part you could read as a whiter realm. Uh, obviously, Asian people write. <laughs> they write literature, but it was more of a white game, especially when I was growing up. Uh, and I would say, obviously, it continues to pretty much predominantly to be a white world. Do you feel more comfortable in white spaces than Asian spaces? No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, definitely now. Like, now I'm comfortable pretty much in any space. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So, I mean, that, and that, but that's largely because of me. Mm -hmm. Like, I've had to sort of force myself to socialize. Like, I had to learn... I had to learn how to socialize. Like my, my parents didn't help me that much in that regard. Uh, and this is where like the masculinity angle helps. I remember you talking about your dad, like the only thing you could really talk about was sports in a lot of ways. 
So it's not like they were sort of, I mean, in some ways, like, how do you teach that? I don't know how parents do it. Like, when I become a parent, I'm sure it's going to be hard. But I had to learn to, like, like, some of the things I did were, like, like learning dance, like partner dance, like salsa, tango, and swing. Like, that's how I met my, my wife right now is through the swing dancing community. Like, that was one way I learned to socialize. Like, just forcing myself to do these things that were potentially embarrassing physically <laughs> and socially to try to, like, expand my friend group, you know, like... Obviously, like, poetry is one thing, too. Like, that was also a whole other social realm because, mm -hmm. like, I had no idea what I was doing there. I didn't know anyone that did that when I was growing up. My parents didn't do it. So I had to kind of learn what that world was like. Sports was a different kind of social group. So, like, my whole life has been this sort of, uh, I don't know if it's, like, a <laughs> path or a purpose, per se, but, like, it's, I've really felt this ambition to try to expand my social groups as much as possible, even when it came to dating, like, dating many different kinds of people rather than just... just the people that I thought I was interested in when I was mm -hmm. a kid. Um, Did your parents have the expectation you were going to bring home a nice Korean woman? Yeah. No. I even have a poem in my first book called Nice. Why Can't You Meet a Nice Korean Girl? <laughs> why couldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I tried. It's not yeah. like I didn't try. <laughs> yeah. You know? But again, some of that was like, you know, like, I'd say in college, like, some of it is like, you know, I don't know. Like, my parents could have pushed me more into Asian spaces, I think, as a kid. And then by the time I got to college, I got into literature. And I was also kind of a loner, right? So, like, I, was, I wasn't really trying to break into social groups back then. So I had a really small group of friends. There were some white people, a couple of Asian people, <laughs> some Latino people, you know. And uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> oh, why can't I meet a nice Korean girl? Yeah. It's like I actually just, like, wasn't meeting them mm -hmm. at the time in college. And then mm -hmm. when I got older and tried to start dating people, I was meeting some, but... At that point, I wasn't even thinking that. I was like, well, I c I'm just going to try to meet a great person. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, I'm not going to try to categorize them ahead of time. But but you didn't have that um, thinking that maybe uh, meeting a Korean woman there would be easier because like, you don't have yeah. to explain certain aspects sure. of who and what you are. Yeah, I definitely thought about that. And uh, But, you know, it's like when... And then the ease of, like, introducing that person to your parents, too. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's going to be less pushback. But here's the thing. Like, when I did date Korean people, uh -huh. like, either, like, and I wouldn't, I never, like, dated someone long term, but I went on dates yeah. with multiple Korean people. I would feel less commonality. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with, like, uh, me being a particular kind of Korean and them being a particular kind of Korean. It's like there was no, there were no common interests, really. So I was just like, what am I talking about with this person? It's just like, was this in Cleveland or was this in New York? This was mostly in New York. Okay. Yeah. And some of these people, <laughs> interestingly, some of these people were people that my mom would try to set me up with who lived on the other side of the country, you know? So I was like, how am I going to make that work? <laughs> like, one of them I met at my little sister's wedding. Uh -huh. I was just like, okay, cool. She seems cool. She's Korean. I feel comfortable with her for that. <laughs> but, <laughs> like, I don't feel like we really have a lot in common, and there doesn't really seem to be a spark here. And also, like, how are we going to date when she lives in California? Like, like she wasn't into here. sports or poetry? Yeah, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, very. I mean, it's very rare that you do meet anyone. Oh, speaking of which, are women into poetry? Yes. Or is that more outdated? Yeah. Uh, kind of way of picking up women. <laughs> that's a great question because I think I got into poetry because I thought women were into it, and maybe that was more the case in like the '90s, the '80s and '90s, but. Uh, I think they were into it when I was like younger in high school. Like when I would, like when I got into writing, I got in, I was like in these summer writing camps and uh -huh. like women were super into writing and like literature and music and things like that. And then in college, that was the same. 
then I graduated from college, and it seemed like it ended. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I mean, not that they weren't into it, but yeah. they were kind of into it in the way that a lot of people were into it. They're like, oh, that's so cool. You write poetry. That's uh -huh. so awesome. Like, I was, that's like, I, you know, that's it's, it's so fascinating. You're, like, passionate. and But, like, they're not really into it, a lot of people. They're just, like, kind of, like, superficially into it. No, I mean, like, um, could you feed them, like, flowery language to make them feel all... <laughs> Pretty and whatnot. No, most women see right through that shit. Oh, man. damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. If you become like a serious poet, which mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think that's a ridiculous thing to say. So, <laughs> But, you know, I do think that I'm like someone actually that tries to write like real poetry rather than just like fake poetry mm -hmm. that you use to try to like pick up women or something. Like, Have you ever done it, though? Yeah, when I was like <laughs> oh, 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. but like once I became serious about yeah, it, yeah. like you're not going to do it yeah. anymore because like you just think it's ridiculous. But like. like Let's go back to 18 when you did that. <laughs> yeah. It uh, worked it with my first girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. Is that how you picked her up? Yeah, I wrote her some bad poems. Okay. Yeah. But luckily she didn't know about she it. She loved them. Did you have to, like, keep feeding it to her, though? Kind of, yeah. I wrote her a lot. She was actually with someone else. Oh, when damn. We met. Yeah. She was with a, a white dude. Uh huh. A sophomore, too. We okay. were freshmen. And you were able to woo her away with your sweet, sweet Yeah. Budget. I didn't uh, think it would work, but it worked. That's a great story. <laughs> it is, but it was also bad because oh, it set a bad precedent for me. Because then I thought it would work every time after yeah, that yeah, yeah. with some other women. Uh huh. And then, you know, it was like women that were with people. I was like, oh, okay, it doesn't matter if they're with someone. <laughs> I'll just write them some bad poems and woo them away. No, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> and it's actually kind of creepy. <laughs> so I don't recommend it. But it did work with uh, my first girlfriend, so. You're with, uh, you have a wife now. Yes. Did you guys uh, have a, like a traditional wedding? What do you mean by traditional? Like uh, you guys exchange vows and everything? Yeah. Did interesting, your so. ability to write poetry <laughs> make that process easier? Yeah, and I think I mean I think it d people definitely enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, so first we got she's a she's an immigrant from Brazil. So first we went to City Hall mm -hmm. to try to speed up the. <laughs> it's ironic because it didn't really speed it up the green card process. It still ended up taking like a year and a half. Oh my God. She was here on a visa or something? Yeah, she was here as a, a student. She was a graduate student at Columbia's okay. uh, teaching college. She was a MA. She was doing an MA in art education. How long were you guys dating before you married? Uh, maybe about a year, a little over a year before I went to City Hall. But oh, then right. she wanted, we both like wanted to have an actual wedding. So we didn't tell anyone about it except our close. Now I guess I'm telling everyone, but I think most people kind of know now. <laughs> anyway, so... The following year, we got married in Brazil. So we got married right near the beach. So that was beautiful weather. We had some people come from America. We had obviously a lot of Brazilians there. So we did do this sort of like we both wrote our own vows and uh -huh. read it. And yeah, it was kind of like felt a little bit like a poetry reading. Was she <laughs> like was I didn't she, read a poem, yeah. but like I wrote this very is she a lyrical poet? prose thing. No, she's a visual artist. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's that kind of connection there. Yeah, Just but it's good. Us. Like yeah. you're in the arts, but you're not competing with this within the same. <laughs> Genre, because like I've dated poets, it can get a little. Well, absolutely, like get uh, a little competitive in the comedy world. It's like stigmatizes, like don't date other comedians. Yeah, um, but sure my girlfriend, hard. she has her own magazine, so it's like that's yeah. a creative field. Right. And so we're able to connect on that level, where it's like, hey, I'm doing this creative thing, yeah. and we're doing that creative thing. Yeah, and we just leave each other alone when we gotta be in our creative mindset. Yeah, you so, get it. You yeah. get that you need alone space, yeah. and then you can still kind of bounce ideas yeah. off each and other. And you're not competing, so it's right. like, oh, that person gets this thing, then right. it's like, it's a reflection of where I am at my status. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty sweet. Okay, uh, <laughs> so did you 
consider having a traditional Korean wedding where you wear the hat and the robe? <laughs> no. That ne- that never even came up. Ah, so, how come? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I honestly had I don't even know what the hell that is. Right. So it would have had to have come from my parents. Yeah. And they did not suggest it. They were, had a hard enough time just going to Brazil. Uh huh. <laughs> because they're thinking of all their friends. Because they're very Americanized now. You know, they uh-huh. go to Korea maybe once a year. And so their concern was like, oh, what are all our Korean guests going to mm-hmm. do? Dude, they're going to have to fly to Brazil. That's so far away. And my mom actually asked me, she's like, why don't you have a destination wedding like in New York? I was like, how is a wedding in Brazil not a destination <laughs> wedding? Like, what are you talking about? But, yeah, I mean, I thought, I sort of thought about it abstractly at one point. I was like, shouldn't we get married in Korea, too? Wouldn't that be cool for all my relatives over there? But they never brought it up, so... Mm. And weddings are fucking expensive. It's oh, no. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. Yeah. But I just only asked because, like, um, just the emotional connection of, like, yeah. you know, in, like uh, submersing yourself more in, like, Korean culture or something like that. Yeah. Because, like, how often do you get to express Koreanness, like, yeah. on that level in America? That's a great question. But I would just say, honestly, like, I didn't feel, at least in that, in that regard with mm-hmm. my wedding, like, I didn't feel any emotional need to express that through mm-hmm. my marriage. Or my wedding in particular, so it just honestly didn't even occur to me. So maybe that maybe that just makes me like a totally Americanized Korean hick, uh, which is maybe fair in some ways. But uh, you I wouldn't know. go that far. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I'm just like sort of like assessing myself, like honestly. But you know, I do think of myself as an American, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm a Korean American, and there there's aspects of my Koreanness that I take a lot of pride in. But they are. It's interesting you say the word emotional because I don't think of that. I don't think that much. Like, what is my emotional need for Koreanness? I think I feel it the most when I think about what I was talking about earlier, my, mm-hmm. like, aloneness mm-hmm. within my particular field. And I think, I guess, certain aspects of, like, Korean ethnicity that play out, like when I'm with Koreans, is especially, like, the contrast I will sometimes feel with other ethnic Asian groups. But... I'm not sure I think about that all that much. So, it's right. a good question. I, I mean, I think a lot of Asian Americans, our default is American. Yeah. So, um, a lot of my friends are either married or getting married. And what I notice is that uh, it would be a couple of them do the Asian aspect of the marriage just for, like, family purposes. Right. Just to placate the parents, right? Yeah. But few of them do it because they it's like you know this is just how our culture is it's like this yeah. is how asians get married yeah. but everybody does the traditional w- white dress exchanging vows which is more of a western aspect of it it's like yeah so it's like it's yeah yeah you're american you're you have access to all those american things but it's like but you value it over the uh the asian part yeah. So, which is always fascinating to me. So, so I have yet to go to one wedding where they just do it the Asian way, and they don't even. It's like I'm not going to bother buying a white dress or yeah. exchanging vows because right. that's not what we do. It's like just the tea ceremony. Right. <laughs> we go to the house, and yeah. that's it. So, yeah. so I want to ask about you, so whether or not you consider that the Korean part, because you yeah. definitely did the wedding exchange part because yeah. it's uh, so ingrained in all Americans to do that because like that's the wedding you grow up seeing yeah. watching and is more meaningful to you yeah and that's the wedding i saw because both of my sisters got married first mm-hmm. right and that's the kind of wedding they both did mm-hmm. so if anything we we definitely got married in brazil and like we wanted to honor certain brazilian traditions mm-hmm. 
like one tradition they have. And like so, the wedding we had was actually very different from how they do weddings there, and that's what a lot of people remarked on. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, a lot of the Brazilian guests that were there, like friends of my wife, like really liked the way we did it. Mm-hmm. And I went to a wedding this past summer that was so different. It was like in a church, it's very traditional. Mm-hmm. And the vows were very different. Um, but one thing they usually do is like they have like the, the whole families are like up there with them. It's just like tons of people up there. And then at the end, they all kind of hug it out. So you like hug your partner's family down the line and then your partner hugs oh, cool. your family down the line. And it takes a while, but it's cool. So we, we did that at the end. But like the vows and like playing music to kind of come up and all of that was very like Americanized. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I had seen my sisters do that, and they also like there was no like <laughs> there was no Korean thing. But we're pretty cut off. Like, in a, I mean, maybe that sounds too extreme, but our, like my relationship to family, specifically Korean family, is very, I would say, very different from even like other Korean American families. Mm-hmm. Like, I haven't. I'm trying to get back to freaking Korea. Like, I have not been there since 2000. You know. And my little sister also went in that trip that I went in 2000, but my, my older sister hasn't been there, I think, since the 90s. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen my grandmothers, who are still alive, and any of my other relatives who all live there. So it's just uh, my immediate family is the only family that I have that's here. So we feel pretty cut off. And, of course, we don't speak to them in Korean, right? So Are your parents connected to them? Yeah. Like okay. I said, they go back at least once a year, if mm-hmm. not more. Okay. But it's just an interesting thing because they themselves like don't even seem to attempt to connect us that much uh i don't know if they just gave up or something or if they just were never that i mean they i assume were more interested because in you know when we were younger like my grandparents visited a couple times and we went over there but it's just been different as adults uh and my both of my sisters have kids right and they have not met any of their relatives so like i really would like to take my wife there and if you know when we have kids i would like to take them over there um I think I feel more of an emotional need for Koreanness, perhaps than my sisters in that way. Like I'm interested in the culture, interested in learning the language. Like when we have kids, like I want to learn Korean on my own, because like my wife wants to teach her kids Portuguese, mm-hmm. and I'm learning Portuguese. But I would also like to teach them Korean so that we extend <laughs> this sort of like cultural lineage. Because I feel like if I don't do it, I don't know if my sisters are going to do it. Mm-hmm. Do you, like um, your wife probably is more ingrained in brazilian culture yeah and like you f- probably feel like you are her family in. is really tight yeah right? and i love that like i love her family and mm-hmm. i like i love spending time there it's a very family-centered culture i don't know if i'm assuming it's like i've seen it seems like other brazilians are like this like the ones that i've met but like aren't all culture families <laughs> oriented except for american probably be yeah. the exception well it's different in the sense that like like when i hang out with her family like her dad and her my brother-in-law, her, she has one brother, are very much like me. Like mm-hmm. they, they like watching sports. Like they're into football, of course. Like uh, Brazilian football, not American football. They really like whiskey. They really like IPAs, and they really like barbecue. <laughs> so we really like. It's very easy for me to just like hang out with them. But when I hang out with like my dad or my older sister's brother, my older sister's husband, it's just different. I mean, I guess they're into sports too. My little sister's husband, he's a white guy. He's a little more into sports. My older sister's uh, Chinese husband Chinese American husband it's just a different family vibe like we don't hang out in the same way um, it's not bad it's just different was there a, did you have to seek your wife's dad's approval 
Yeah, I mean, I, blessing I don't know if I had to, but she she let me know that he would appreciate that. He's a super cool guy. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to. So I before I proposed, I I uh, skyped with them and her, both her both uh, him and her mother. Mm-hmm. I just asked them both if I could have their blessing. So. Well, I wanted to actually. There was something I wanted to get back to, like this, because I'm really intrigued by your talking about like emotional need with mm-hmm. Karina. And I was thinking, yep. like, while you were talking about some other stuff, I was thinking, like, when do I feel that the most? And I think when I do feel that is when I'm thinking about other Korean American guys, mm-hmm. uh, like when we're on the panel that we were on, or when I see like Steven Yeun in that movie Burning mm-hmm. that he was in, or like I follow. Korean American guys, <laughs> or like more generally Asian American guys, but when they're Korean, I feel a special connection with them. Of so course. like, I feel emotional about John Cho. <laughs> I feel emotional about Stephen Young. There's and a like, certain tribalness that comes yeah. off too. It's like and again, like what they're it's, doing. It's, it's it goes back to sports. Yeah, you're rooting for your team. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm all for Asian Americans, yeah. but if they're Vietnamese, then I'm more invested. Like I want yeah. them to win more because that's a representation of me. Yeah, that's I'm saying what like it's all about. these guys are doing it, and like yeah. they have gone through a very similar plight. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I, they, I know if we talk, if I were to just randomly meet John Joe, like we would immediately connect based on certain sets of like deeply shared experiences. I'm sure it's a little different because they're both celebrities now, at least in in some regard, but. I know I would connect with them. Just like when I went on this panel, like I knew I'd connect with you, I knew I'd connect with the other guys because there's a, even though we're not, you're not Korean and I'm not Vietnamese, like there is a shared set of like experiences in Asian American male. Mm-hmm. So that's when I do feel the emotional need and I think it comes from this shared feeling of alienation. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, more that's why so than with like Korean culture yeah. at, like in general, you know. Yeah, I'll, that's why I was, um, I'm fascinated by Asians, uh, Asian Americans who grew up outside of like, like strong Asian communities, because that's where I learned like my upbringing was vastly different from everybody else's. So I have a joke, uh, or I jokingly uh, say that uh, Asians from California are probably just happier because we grew up around (laughs) (laughs) around a lot of just other Asian. So it's like our uh, upbringing in our, I, I'll just say this, like our bullying is very different than probably other people's bullying. Yeah. It's because you got probably made fun of for being Asian, mm-hmm. where I yeah. got made fun of for being myself. <laughs> because it's like Asian kids aren't going to make fun of Asian right. because like that's stupid, right. you know? Because yeah. yeah. like they're Asian. Yeah. So it, it was that. So it's like uh, you're, you're affected a little bit differently. So that's why I'm always fascinated by asking. What is your relationship with Asian culture? Because it's like it's so small and there's so little exposure. Um, And from what I can observe with uh, East Coast Asians, Midwestern Asians, or if you're just outside these strong communities is you do tend to gravitate towards white spaces. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely true. It's like I haven't really met any Asian people who gravitated towards like, you know, Latin spaces or black spaces for not well, I, not that you know those are options that you know yeah that's not what i'm saying it's like it's always <laughs> white spaces you know it's well like, i would say that's true but then i guess for me personally i would also say that i did definitely gravitate toward latin spaces and black spaces mm-hmm. as well like i mentioned latin dance earlier mm-hmm. so that for me like when i was in my late 20s living in north carolina like i was living near charlotte for a while what a life you have lived <laughs> yeah i actually gravitated toward cuz like i saw a community there mm-hmm. right so Really, for me, I was like, where is the community 
feeling that I want to feel. And I went to these salsa dances. I was like, that looks awesome. Mm -hmm. I would like to be part of that, mm -hmm. right? So I just kind of forced myself to join these spaces. And then, interestingly, I would see other Asian guys okay. also trying to join these spaces. And it's the same thing with hip-hop, mm -hmm. which I love. Like, I really gravitated towards that music. And also other Asian guys I knew growing up gravitated towards that music. And I don't know if it was like because a certain like demonstration of masculinity or toughness, but then there was also a sense of like sort of clanness, mm -hmm. like even <laughs> like literally the Wu-Tang Clan, which was big with me and a lot of my friends. But I think we gravitated towards black spaces as well in that regard. But it was more like, in some ways, a more abstract space, I guess. Because it's not like I was going to like a lot of hip hop parties or something, yeah. or like even a lot of hip hop concerts. But I definitely, and then I got really into jazz. Like I was really into black culture and then for me, it, it was really late for me to get specifically into like Korean culture, like like discovering like Korean films, Korean writers or Korean American writers and Korean American directors like that came pretty late. Like I was like, I think in my early 30s when I was like, holy shit, there's like this amazing stuff being done. Was dead. it like accessibility? Like the Internet wasn't around when that's we were part younger? of it, I think. But then also just like kind of like. <laughs> You know, just like waking the fuck up like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, like I'm Korean and like this is really cool. And like I think in the past, like maybe that stuff had been there and I didn't have access. But then I think also there was probably a little bit of a block on my part where I was like almost embarrassed by some stuff. Like, you know, like what did we have when we were growing up, like the Joy Luck Club or stuff like that? And I was just like, no, it doesn't <laughs> doesn't really vibe with like what like, I this feel. is all girls. Yeah, I'm a boy. Just like, or like the woman warrior. Like, you know, like I respected those things, but like it wasn't really like capturing the, my sensibility or uh -huh. what I felt growing up as an Asian American male. So and then, you know, when I watched like The Host by Bong Joon-ho, I was like, what the fuck is this? This film is like everything that is about me. <laughs> and it was just the sensibility more than anything. It wasn't like the plot necessarily. Uh -huh. It was just like there was like this comedy but also like this intelligence and an artistry and a, like a political view mm -hmm. and it was like this epic sort of capacious sensibility that i was really into like trying to access in my own work so i, I really identified with with that guy and his films um i'll say this is like you know, uh, when you brought up john cho and now that you're bringing up like your exposure to korean culture uh, or at least entertainment um yeah john cho was probably like when harold and kumar came out I don't know if you ever watched that movie. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like the the best representation of like Asian American uh, representation, like as far as what we're expected of and how people view us. Yeah. You know, it's like it's very underrated as a kind of exploration of Asian American yeah. upbringing. Well, did you watch uh, Better Luck Tomorrow? Too? I did. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first film I watched with John Cho. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, I like Harold and Kumar too, but mm -hmm. I thought. I really liked Better Luck Tomorrow even a lot more because I thought that really depicted that specific kind of like culture where like you're befriending other Asian guys yeah. <laughs> and then you're all like super smart, mm -hmm. you're doing well, and like they're all like, what are they like on like the math team? And yeah, they're, absolutely. Like, they're like studying for the SAT. Right. Like the character of Ben I really connected with in that film and like, f you know, feeling. Not necessarily even bullied by white guys, mm -hmm. but feeling like emasculated by them. Sure, they absolutely. captured that really well. And then you see John Cho also. That's also was interesting. Like he was also sort of emasculating the Ben character mm -hmm. as another Asian guy, and yeah. that's something I hadn't seen before. I would think uh, they're both trying to say the same thing, but in very yeah. different different ways. And yeah. I think with Harold and Kumar, it's much more subtle, right? Because when they went to like that Ivy League school, and you had that group <laughs> of dorky Asians, and right. then 
you know, they're all into, uh, in, <laughs> like fascinated. It's like, how do I get into finance? Right. And then five seconds later, lights turns off and then they're having a rave. And it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is how my friends are. You know, it's like they're super uh-huh. straight A students, very dedicated, hardworking, yeah. smart, but like they party so hard. Yeah. And, like that's an aspect that like, I know it was done for last was like, if you don't know like how funny that actually is, it's hilarious. Yeah. And then they were also constantly emasculated by like, you know, just, uh, obnoxious white dudes yeah which is um you know um my experience wasn't necessarily like that i did right. get uh, um bullied not by like obnoxious white dudes just by like, obnoxious people <laughs> in general <laughs> they they weren't like as over the top right yeah. i also think that like just the the vibe between cal Penn and john cho i feel like it wasn't even necessarily what they were saying mm-hmm. the way they their chemistry i felt like really captured something yeah. subtle between the way like yeah. i had a lot of like other South, South Asian friends too growing up. Right. And it's just like the way he would, like, what does he call him? Roldy? Yeah, ro- yeah. <laughs> like Roldy. Like yeah. that, just like that nickname and the way he would sort of like, just be like chill, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was a very accurate portrayal of, I think, like the way a lot of my friendships were yeah. with and other Asian guys. Th- that, you bring that up and I think that is a, like maybe that's why I gravitate towards that movie more because yeah. like that, chemistry and friendship i bought more than say the chemistry and friendship in right. between anybody in better luck tomorrow that's true because it's yeah. like i understand why you guys are all connected but it, right. i don't see like your friendship yeah you know and you know what i really like more in that film is i don't know how you felt about the end like i didn't like the crime aspect and i, <laughs> I kind of think they had to do that to like sell the film uh-huh I just wanted it to be about these guys being uh, friends in high uh, school and like studying for the SAT and like talking about girls. Yeah. Like when it started getting, like when they had like the whole scene with the hooker and, yeah. then, and then they fucking killed John Chum. Like this shit is just getting out of control now. Like this is not now. It's starting to get less realistic, and I'm not connecting with it as much. Um, are you familiar with Asians in Southern California? No, do they <laughs> they randomly kill other people? I think and in that have outings it, with hookers. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm gonna say. Possibly. <laughs> I, I know uh, there is a contingent of, like, Asian culture. There's a little bit of it in the Northern California Bay Area. And then in Southern California, it's more apparent because, like, again, this is, like, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, Asians. There was, like, how do I rebel? How do I express my skill? And uh, it's, like, right. gang culture okay. was pretty big. So that's very different from, like, the Midwest. <laughs> I, yeah, I, there's not enough. No, I don't know if there were any gangs. Well, like, there's not enough Asian Asians in the Midwest to form a gang. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so yeah, sad. Yeah, and it would be a terrible gang because they know <laughs> who did it immediately. Uh-huh. There would be, yeah, there would be one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas if you're in a group of, like, you know, thousands of Asians, you can kind of dissipate and disappear. It's like, right. who, who did it? It's like the Asian guys. Okay. okay. That that. Me, no. So then that was more actually realistic for like Southern I don't know. It, it, it's more realistic. Right. I don't know it, how realistic it actually yeah. is, but you know people who sold drugs. Or like the guy that, uh, I can't remember the character's name, who bought the gun. And yeah. Like starts waving around. Well, so that Asian people more, love guns. Right. <laughs> like in the Midwest? Yeah, don't but they? I don't know any Asian guys with guns. I not mean, even in the Midwest? Not, at least not that I know of. Okay. Maybe they have one, but uh. that wasn't a big part of I mean, you know, like obviously like toy guns, but never like a real gun. Not even like you. Not like even I've never mid- even touched a real gun. Oh, okay, fascinating, yeah. fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Asian Asian guys out in California love guns. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know what. Like, I guess going shooting is kind of fun. Like, yeah. if there's no strong appeal to me, like I've yeah. gone twice, <laughs> and it's like that's enough. I would be up for it. It's just again, it's like it's never come up with yeah. like any friend that like yeah, let's go shoot a gun. Like oh, that yeah. would be cool. 
Yeah. But no. I didn't know that about uh, Southern California. It's like, guys. well, Southern California and Bay Area. Well, like yeah. the, I don't know, like gun laws are a little bit stricter. And then now with the current culture, I don't know if like guns are as, let's see. I don't know if cool is the right word because guns are still cool. Yeah. But if like, you know, it's probably looked down upon. It's like, oh, yeah. you have a gun? What's wrong with you? Yeah. Maybe that's that climate. But like yeah. Asian people are so removed from like mainstream thinking a lot of the times, I think, too. <laughs> Like the ones, like when I say Asians, I mean like the ones I know back home, Western, like right. West Coast Asians. Okay. It's like, like America does this thing and then Asians, we live in our own bubble. Right. And we're kind of independent of yeah. whatever you guys think is okay. Because uh, a lot of Asian communities, we can be uh, a little bit less politically correct. Yeah. You know, it's like homosexuality. Right. While wildly accepted in mainstream American culture, Asian culture is like. Oh, yeah. Totally. Still, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. but also prefer not. Yeah, I would say my parents are pretty Republican. Mm-hmm. I don't think they vote. <laughs> like, I think there's but a difference between conservatism and Republicanism. Yeah. But they're yeah. always for the Republican candidate, you know, because it's more like, oh, this is better for our money. <laughs> definitely against, so Asian. definitely against homosexuality. Uh-huh. Uh, in fact, that was my mom's biggest fear when I was growing up because she was like, are, she would ask me mm-hmm. several times, like, are you gay? And it's just because I was like, guess what? I'm not meeting women. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would love to meet women, yeah. but you're not helping me. <laughs> right. It's like these questions don't help. I was like, I'm not allowed, allowed <laughs> yeah. to go out on the weekends. Like, how am I supposed to meet girls? And now you're asking me if I'm gay. Like, what is that? That's so weird. Do you ever tell your mom you stole a girl from a guy writing poetry? I can't it's remember like, if I told her that. Is this enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> Am I man enough for well, you? Well, but then when I got when I had that girlfriend, she uh-huh. freaked out about it because she was a white girl. Uh-huh. So she was like traumatized. <laughs> oh, that fascinating. Like, what she think was going to happen? Well, I was like in love, you know, like 18-year-old in love. You yeah. know, I don't know, you know, I don't know if you were in love when you were 18, but it's a particular kind of that was the first time I really was in love, right? So I do think I was in love, but it's also very different from like what I think like a really mature kind of love is but so i was just like all about that and i thought mm-hmm. i was gonna marry her right <laughs> so i was like already talking about that with my mom you know and she was just like oh my god like freaking out like what are you talking about you can't get married i think she even thought like i might get married when i was still in school or something mm-hmm. i think she also was worried that like i would t- focus too much on that and not focus on school work, that's you know i could see that yeah, yeah. even yeah. my dad at one i think she told him to like intercede and talk to me mm-hmm. there was one we had like a dinner once mm-hmm. and then there was like a big because mo- he he was not like the governing parent usually so but there was a big moment at this one dinner where he kind of like there was a pause and then he was like okay and then Jason <laughs> and he had to give me this like big speech about how he focused on studies when he was in school and like you can't focus on relationships I was like where is this coming was that from? an awkward speech for him to give you it was very awkward yeah it felt awkward I think for him and definitely for me and like, I think did you guys ever talk about anything of substance. I mean, we never talked about relationships, uh-huh. you know, like uh, that was about the most advice he ever gave me about women. We like we never talked about like dating, uh-huh. or obviously not sex you uh-huh. know? or even like marriage. Like I didn't really talk about it with him. Did your parents ever tell you how they met and anything like that? No. Oh. They've never talked about that. In fact, I have a recent poem that I was writing where I'm speculating about that. Like, I want, like what happened before they met? You know, because this is the stuff they'd never talk about. Uh-huh. And I feel like it's not that uncommon for, you know, kids not to know, like, how their parents met or, like, what they were doing before they met. Mm-hmm. 
like I don't know, like, were they dating other people? <laughs> like, you know, had they had sexual relations? I hope they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if your parents listened to this podcast. <laughs> like, how many did they go on dates? Yeah. Like, did my dad like hit on her? Mm-hmm. Or like, did their families connect them? It's fascinating to me. Why don't you ask them? I probably will at some because like I'm pretty bold with questions, but I think even when I ask them stuff, like they don't say that much. Mm-hmm. Like at some point, I got in college. I got really interested in the interest in the Korean War, and my dad was a uh, he was a. Uh, so that's the thing. Like our family somehow was not as affected by it as other Korean families because my grandfather was a police chief, mm-hmm. so he did not have to fight in the war. And this is again, this is all <laughs> my dad explained to me. It's very little information was given and my, our family is from Daegu which is in the south mm-hmm. so he's like well the front line got close to there but we weren't really that affected by it and that's pretty much what he had to say on the subject yeah, you gotta go back you know? to Korea talk to your grandma yeah <laughs> but that's the thing like I'd have to talk to her in Korean so like I was like really hungry for this information and like and I was like who is the best source of the information gonna be my dad uh-huh. and so we had this long car ride I write about one of the poems in my first book when I'm just like sort of like grilling him about it and there's very little information that's forthcoming, and I have to just kind of imagine the rest and then read a bunch of history and just kind of like, figure, okay, where was our family? What dates were the, you know, what, what was going on? And yeah, it's an interesting relationship, my father. Okay. <laughs> it's like, that's the last time he ever spoke to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did he give you any uh, advice on your wedding day? That's the thing I was mentioning earlier. Like, uh, we didn't really talk about that. Like, oh, damn. There was no, like, moment where he was like, Jason, I have some son. I have some advice for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like I asked for his advice about right. how to propose. Like, you know, who do I, I asked my best friend here who had just recently uh, gotten married himself. So he was like my go-to. And I asked like another best friend of mine down in Florida. So your parents are still married, right? Yeah. Like after like 50 years, something years or now? Uh, yeah, years? it's getting there. They were, yeah. they were married in, when were they married? They came over here in 73. No, they got married in 73, uh-huh. and they came over here in 74. Okay. Yeah. So it's been, well, how many years is that? Almost 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be, like, the best person to ask for some sort of advice? Like, how would you keep a marriage going for 50-plus years? Well, but that's a different question. It wasn't yeah. like I went to him and asked about, like, proposing. Right. right? But, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask yet, like, maybe in, like, a year or two, uh-huh. maybe five years from now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, so how do you keep it going for so long? But... I just, I don't know, I don't have that relationship with my parents, especially my father. I just feel like it would be an awkward question. I mean, it most certainly will be an awkward (laughs) conversation if you're just kind of bringing it. But, like, otherwise, like, if you're not going to start being awkward with him now, like, when is that going to happen? Because time is only so finite. Well, here's the thing. Like, my mom will offer that advice. Sure. You know, all the time. Just kind of, like, unsolicited. (laughs) Of course. And I will kind of, I think there's a lot of truth to what she says. And then some of it, I'm just kind of like, yeah, but, you know, I don't really take it that seriously. Because some of it, I don't think is good advice. But then, you know, there are others. But I'm still pretty affected by it. Like, I can see how my relationships have played out. Like, how I've been internalizing a lot of her advice Mm -hmm. about, I think, not just about particular women, but about relationships in general. Like, just stuff like... I thought I was rebelling against, but even just thinking like, you know, like you got to think about family first. You got to think of like, is she from a good family? Like, is she educated? All these kinds of things. And like, you, you think you're not listening. <laughs> Cause like when you date people, like you're, you're not dating people with those things in mind. But then when it comes time to like actually think about like, who do I want to settle down with? Like those were definitely things that were 
you know, when I hit 40 mm-hmm. and really started thinking about like, you know, am I going to marry someone? And when I met my uh, wife, I was like thinking about all these things that I really liked about it. And it wasn't just her as a person. It was like her family is really cool. She seems really grounded. She seems like she's really about family. She wants to be a mother. I was interested in having children. She really loves animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's a really kind person. You know, just like you look for all these qualities and I'm like, where is that coming from? Maybe it's me, but a lot of that was, those are like my mom's values. Mm-hmm. And then interestingly, when they met, and, my, and I had never taken any girl home to mm-hmm. Cleveland. <laughs> and so we, <laughs> like, uh, like ever. Yeah, yeah, of course not. Like, like Asians don't bring yeah, people home. Not, like no other, sig- and I've <laughs> Unless had, they're Asian. Yeah, I've had other significant relationships. I had never taken, I mean, some of, they had, my mom and my parents had met a couple of them, mm-hmm. but I had never taken any of them home. So I took my wife home for, I think it was Thanksgiving, before we, before I proposed, of course, we had just started dating. And I was like, and I, at this point, I was like, I don't, I don't care anymore. I'm like, I was like 40. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to bring her home. I'm like, I'm bringing her home, so get ready. And amazingly, they just hit it off just like that. And I was like, that is a fucking sign. It was like, I think she like instinctively saw in my wife, <laughs> Like a, like a like-minded person. And, like, I think Anna, like, also or saw that Or she saw, like, all right, this is going to be my last shot. I mean, I think also <laughs> that was definitely part of it. Like, I think if I had been 30, there'd probably have been more resistance. But yeah. I think by 40, she was, like, starting to get desperate. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, they definitely, have, but they definitely hit it off. Are there grandchildren, like, on your sister's side? Uh, do my sisters have children? Kids, yeah. yeah, they both have kids. Oh, yeah. Okay. But you're, my like, the sisters. oldest boy. Yeah, okay. I'm the only oldest and the only yeah. boy. So yeah. you know you uh, carry on the name. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, they're probably like just she's, more invested. She's so, all definitely right, brought we, that up before. So, all right. <laughs> so otherwise, the coup name dies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that I mean they were pushing hard for a Korean first, and then second an Asian <laughs> <laughs> of any kind. <laughs> Maybe not Japanese, <laughs> but they I, they think that even that they might have accepted. <laughs> was that? Uh, but then it was like. Was that brought up? Then at it was kind of just like anybody, yeah. <laughs> anybody from with a good family. <laughs> was like just anybody? Like if you brought home like a black person, would they be cool with that? Uh, that would have been interesting. Okay. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm not sure how that would have gone down. Right. But uh, yeah, but I do think they had gotten to the point where it was kind of like, just give us somebody good, you know? Because I had seen them go through that process with both my sisters' yeah. husbands. Because my older sister Lily, her husband was uh, is is Chinese American, yeah. and even there, there was like a little resistance at first. I was like, really? What's so bad about that? <laughs> but then they like got over that pretty quickly. But then my little sister, she was dating a white guy. Mm-hmm. And they were like, there was a lot of resistance at first. But then they met him. That's the thing. My my parents are kind of like, I feel like they're they seem to ha- they seem to be hard on the surface, but they're I feel like softies at heart. <laughs> So I saw when they met Ben, my little sister's husband, like they, he's just like a good guy. They just like liked him immediately. Do you come from a wealthy family? It's not wealthy, but upper middle class. Upper middle class, okay. Like Like my dad is a radiologist. Like do they have a big inheritance where they can threaten to cut you guys off and it would matter? Oh, I mean, they've never, that's the thing. That's Uh like a different from like a wealthy family. Like they've never talked to us about that stuff. So maybe like they don't have that kind of... uh, hard power that can flex on yeah guys they would never yeah exactly yeah. i was never like dependent on them in that way you know they were never like okay i'm gonna cut off your allowance yeah, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like i have no idea what i'm gonna inherit i'm sure it's something right but it's it was never p- 
part of our and I think that was good parenting uh-huh. you know for fuck's sake I think it's fucked up if you're like this is what you're gonna inherit and I'm gonna cut you off if you don't marry the person I want you to marry well I don't know if <laughs> any parent goes into that uh, <laughs> willingly you know it's like it's more of a, a, a last resort kind of yeah. thing where it's like okay this is how like I strongly disapprove cause <laughs> like growing up you would hear it's like I'm gonna disown you yeah. No, I had heard. I definitely yeah. heard that. Right. But it just felt like an empty threat. It like yeah. yeah. So like for me and my parents is like um, I'm my girlfriend's black, and yeah. so it's like because my parents are poor and like they're dependent on me. Yeah. It's like you're not gonna. <laughs> what are you gonna do? It's no, like, but I listened to your podcast when you talked yeah. about. It. So you, but you were saying like you hadn't told them yet. Or no, you I told, told my mom. You told your mom, right? I haven't told but my dad, dad yet. Yeah. But like, the the hesitation is like I don't want. To be bothered, right? Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, it's it's not <laughs> anything. I don't even want to deal with it. It's <laughs> not anything where it's anything cataclysmic. It's just like, it's just one extra. Why? Why would I inconvenience myself? <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. And I think my girlfriend is starting to like, you know, press. It's like, you know, you gonna tell your dad? It's like, do you want me to? And she's like, well, no, not really. It's like, okay, yeah. then. <laughs> I'm like, just keep kicking this can down the road until like my, my hand is forced. I wonder that's a particular like Asian guy thing to do I've never heard another yes, person say that I would say except you and I was like I do that too about stuff like I don't want to inconvenience myself by like having to like have a conversation with someone about something that I would just rather not stress about right I, I mean it's the closest thing I'll ever come to like coming out yeah. <laughs> having that conversation wow you know because <laughs> yeah. like I think it invokes the same kind of emotion from right. your parents because like they already have this thing in their head right and you're like no 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 <laughs> like this yeah. is my life silly yeah so but um i think with what we were talking about earlier regarding uh your mom's emotions um and you're feeding off of that it's just it's fascinating to me like there seems to be like an absence of like where your father plays <laughs> a role yeah. in your life it was pretty absent. It's like stereotypically speaking, it's like, you know, Asian dads tend to be like, you right. know, uninvolved. Yeah. Um, I think that changes here and there, but like, yeah. you know, it's just like the mom's the more nurturing one, the dad's like the stern, yeah, the emotionalist one. He provides like very patriarchal. Yeah. You know, it's like you take care like I he take care of was the like business. That. <laughs> it's like I take but care of the business. But he's also he was a great dad. I mean, he was never like violent or overly physical or stern or anything like that. But he was definitely like that was his role, like the sort of more emotionally detached breadwinner. Mm-hmm. My mom was the one raising us. Mm-hmm. She was like a stay-at-home mom. And, I, you know, thinking about other Asian guys I knew, like I knew a couple with like Asian dads that were more like domineering, more sometimes what you see in like, you know, like Asian films where there's like a strongly like physically violent Asian father. Had yeah, that K-rage. Yeah, exactly. But definitely more of the dads that I saw were more like my dad. Mm-hmm. They were more passive and they would just kind of hang out with each other. We hung he out. He hung out with like other Korean dads? Yeah, like anytime there'd be like a family get together, mm-hmm. all the dads would <laughs> hang out and talk okay. to each other. The moms would talk to each other and then the kids would go play somewhere. I see. Right? Okay. So his social group is like predominantly Korean? Uh, yeah, predominantly. They okay. have the whole, like, Korean medical community. So, like, all <laughs> the people that – it's called, like, the Korean Medical Association. <laughs> all his friends that came over from Korea. There's a lot of them. Uh, not just in Korea, but other places. I bet there is. So, you have a PhD. Yes. But you're not going by Dr. Koo. Or do you? I do. I never, like, go by that myself. Uh-huh. Uh, like, my students will call me that sometimes because, mm-hmm. like, they will see that I have a PhD or something. Uh-huh. And it sounds – I think that sounds simpler than, like, professor. Uh-huh. That always sounds weird. Uh-huh. Professor Koo. 
Uh, but yeah, nobody calls me that. Do your <laughs> does your radiology dad recognize your doctor? No, yeah, nobody recognizes me a doctor in the family. Like, yeah, because like, so not only is my dad a doctor, but my older sister's a doctor. Oh my god, my younger sister's a doctor. Oh my god, and my older sister's husband is a doctor. Yeah, that's why I connect with my little sister's husband because he is uh, a math teacher, or uh-huh. he's he also was like a he did like a different kind of thing. He uh-huh. didn't go to medical school, so I'm like, okay, you, I understand, you're a teacher. <laughs> You know. So like, do they roast you for not being like a real doctor? No, they never. That's never like a. That's never been a thing. They okay. never. I think they were more just like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> I see. You know. And then like when I finally published books, they're like, "Oh, that seems cool. Like mm-hmm. that's cool that you did that. Wow. Like, <laughs> how did that happen? Like, how did you make that work? You know? And like, oh, you're not actually homeless. Like, you have a job. <laughs> like, you're a professor. Have you ever been homeless? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it feels a little bit like that when you're in grad school. Uh, that was the one thing with, you were talking about, like, being cut off. Like, mm-hmm. that was my mom's one threat. It wasn't about girls. It was, like, when I was trying to become a poet. And I, I was like, look, I want to get an MFA. And at that point, they really wanted me to go to law school. And my mom was just like, well, we're not going to pay for that. And I was like, well, shit. <laughs> What am I going to do? And then I was like, well, I'll just look into this. And then, you know, amazingly, like, you can find programs with funding. Did your parents pay so for I was college like, up until then? Yeah, that's the thing. Oh, they had paid for college. That must have been sweet. What's it like to have financial security like that? It's pretty fucking sweet, man. <laughs> okay. I didn't have any fucking debt <laughs> when I got it. That would actually it helped me become a poet for fuck. So, like, so, like, that was kind of an empty speech because she had already kind of bankrolled it <laughs> by not saddling me with debt. Yeah. Right. So then I could go to grad school and just, like, live off my fucking graduate assistantship or whatever and uh-huh. I so they weren't paying for that but you know because I didn't have the debt I uh-huh. was able to like live really cheaply for like basically seven years of graduate school because did I did an MFA and a PhD did they buy you a car in high school yeah but I had to share it was a used fucking Hyundai it's not like it was a blinged out car <laughs> hilarious they got you a Hyundai was uh, it because it was Korean probably <laughs> okay. I was sharing that red Hyundai with my older sister yeah oh really, that's what I want really to talk to you car. about it's ironic because I have a Hyundai now <laughs> I mean, they're great cars. <laughs> it's a great... I yeah. have the Ionic. Gets 58 miles per gallon, that motherfucker. It's uh, a great car. I mean, I don't know how much sense it makes having a car in New York, but yeah. <laughs> well, I need it because I teach in Connecticut. Oh, so I gotta drive that's up what's there. up. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to talk uh, to you something about earlier when you mentioned that thing about uh, Japanese. <laughs> Was that apparent growing up where... Because uh, me and my co-host who's not uh, on with us today we'd like to talk about the asian hierarchy a lot oh yeah asian racism yeah yeah asian yeah. racism asian hierarchy like yeah. from your experience can you recall what it was like from in your household yeah it was definitely i mean it wasn't like hostile uh-huh. or anything like that but there was definitely an anti-japanese hosti- you know uh tension uh-huh <laughs> I mean, understandably. I mean, they grew up in a time when they were colonized by the Japanese. And the Japanese were fucking horrible to Koreans. Yeah, I mean, they were yeah. historically just... I mean, I'm reading A Gesture Life with my... Uh, Chang Rae Lee's A Gesture Life. I don't know if you know this novel. It's about the so-called comfort women. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't know that... I know about comfort women. I don't know about that yeah. book. It's a great book. Uh, so I teach it every year with this unreliable narrator class that I teach for, to freshmen. And, uh, you know, I just got through last week telling them, I just was reading them all of the statistics and just like reading them some of the testimonies by some of the surviving women. And just, just like the fucking atrocity of mm-hmm. this. Anyway, so I, I didn't have to live through that, but I can understand how my parents, you know, having grown up there and having had to deal with, uh, with that, um, I can understand like, um, cause I'm sure their parents were even worse, you yeah. know, because they had to live through even worse. So, 
Uh, I can understand that, like not trusting <laughs> the Japanese, but like, you know, no Japanese person I had ever met or, or hung out with, like ever did anything to me that seemed weird or anything that I should be, you know, suspicious about. So mm-hmm. I never got it. Mm-hmm. So I just like, I was like, okay, okay. I was just like, I don't know what that is, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I never let that influence in how I acted. So, uh, yeah. Did you, did they ref, uh, talk about other Asians growing up in their household? It, w- it wasn't much about other, I mean, like they would talk the mo- in most sort of like, I guess, bigoted terms mm-hmm. about Japanese people and like Jewish people. Right. Those are the groups they were most suspicious of, especially because like we were surrounded more by Jewish people. Mm-hmm. There's definitely like a there's definitely I don't know if you, I'm sure you've noticed it's like sort of like a Jewish Asian hostility. Like I had that a lot because I had a lot of Jewish people where I was growing up and very similar sensibilities, I think, in terms of like how they're pushing their children. Mm-hmm. In fact, I had like Harold Bloom, who's one of my teachers in college. He would always talk about. Asian students being like the new Jews. Mm-hmm. In fact, Ed Hirsch, who's one of my poetry teachers, also a Jewish guy, he would talk about like, he, he would always tease me about being like, he's like, you had like Jewish parents. Because <laughs> like our, the way that we were raised was very similar. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that was what it was too. It was like a little competitiveness with, with Jewish people, but my parents were always very like, you know, like, oh, like watch out for those Japanese people and watch out, <laughs> watch out for the Jews. You can't trust Hilarious. them. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Nah, I never grew like, Also uh, black, though, too, so. Yeah, in the Bay Area, we didn't uh, grow up around Jews like that. Yeah. Um, Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, what was it like with your with your parents? It's, uh, so I break down the Asian hierarchy <laughs> as such. Um, like, generally speaking, the hierarchy is whatever Asian group you're a part of, that's the best one, and then everybody <laughs> else is equally terrible right right (laughs) equally terrible Uh, but I will say is like uh, that way Harkery breaks down specifically it's uh, based off of which Asian type of person is acceptable to bring home to see the parents yeah right it's probably true so it's like Vietnamese that's the best one and then it goes into like that whole uh, Japanese, Chinese, Korean are probably tied for second tier. <laughs> and then as you go down, you know, as uh, colorism plays a role in it, like as uh-huh. the Asians get darker and darker, it gets less acceptable. Yeah. And no, then that's it's like true. No, like whites, uh, Latinos, blacks, all equally undesirable. Whites probably get a pass now, especially in the West Coast, because uh-huh. it's so prominent out there. Right. So maybe that mindset has changed a little bit more. I think definitely with with regards to women my mom was definitely like so there was the whole japanese thing just like any japanese person being suspicious of that. but then with women it was just like there was also this whole sort of uh i don't know if it was like a fear or like a, an advisement against like sluttiness <laughs> she prefer- sure. perceived to be connected with like ethnicity she was like oh well like you can't trust chinese women or like but then that that was like even better than like vietnamese women or filipino women yeah. like they're just like what are they like they're just like like you can like that's not even like a possibility because they are completely untrustworthy and i was like where is this coming yeah. from like what are you talking about yeah, there's no like, data points yeah, yeah. Like, do you even know? It's <laughs> like, I don't e- you've never introduced me to any of right. these women. Like, where are you getting this from? So I have conversations with my mom, not frequently, but here and there uh, regarding, like, my girlfriend. Like, when I first told my mom about my girlfriend, we went through this this whole wild mm-hmm. exchange. Right. Like, just blatant racism, <laughs> pretty much. Like, one thing that stood out is, like, you know, all black women, they just try to trap men. And yeah. It's like, exactly. All women try to trap men. <laughs> my mom's like, let's not relegated to the black women uh but i mean i said that jokingly but also you know it's like it's not like that's not a real stereotype yeah but um like 
it it just went all over the place with her and right. um, yeah it's like uh, you have like like the people who have hurt her in the past they've all been like Vietnamese men right <laughs> so it's like you know Vietnamese people are also terrible like oh, wow. like they're the ones who hurt you the most it's like but like why are you coming at like this right. one black person exactly so it's like there's no data points <laughs> it's like yeah. it's just like uh, just unfamiliarity yeah. I'll say that and then like you grow up in western culture and yeah. um, white is dominant culture yeah so all the people in prominent positions all the ones who are quote unquote respected right um, they tend to be white so there's that isn't it weird though like I can't Im- I mean I don't know if you're thinking about having kids but like mm-hmm. I cannot imagine talking to my kids this way <laughs> about any subgroup of people you know? I mean, I think I will definitely carry on. Like, not on. even just, like, racially or ethnically. Like, anybody. Like, oh, watch out for those, you know, saxophone players. <laughs> I would just ne- – it would never occur to me to talk to a child I think that you way. probably do it in, like, very uh, subtle ways that you're not even sure. conscious Sure. I think of. that's probably true. But it's like, like – But it's like talking to No, like, you'll probably, kids, like, raise like, your kids like, hey – the Cleveland Browns are the best. Well, that I'm definitely going like, to do. Don't, <laughs> it's like, ew, you're a Cincinnati that's true. That's Bengal a good fan. Like, that's, yeah. Take off that jersey I'm, right If now. I have as, uh, a, any of my kids, but yeah. especially my if I have boys, I'm just yeah. like, look, you're not going to root for the fucking Yankees. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> Even if we're living here or something, yeah. I was like, you're not going to root for the New York teams. And, you know, that's you just don't, a law. You don't know, like, the influence. <laughs> uh, I don't know what Brazilian culture is yeah. like, but, you know, it's like your wife probably feels a certain type of way about yeah. Argentinians. Regarding to like soccer <laughs> or True. Venezuelan, so it'll come yeah. out like like because that like that does come out because they're but less so with her and more like the people that I yeah. meet through her. But like yeah. uh, like at least with our sports teams, like more just regional like yeah. rivalry. Where at, I mean, yes, uh, Argentina, Venezuela, those are regions. I yeah. understand that, but like that's culture and countries. So like if yeah. if you're raising your kid to be like pro-Brazil soccer, yeah. you're going to trash the Venezuelan soccer team yeah. and then that's going to, like, sub like in a su- subway kind of um, input it in your kids' heads. Like, hey, yeah. Brazilians are the best of the Latin that's true. South right. continent. I'm also realizing that probably what I said is totally wrong because I do think I would probably say stuff about white people. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> or, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. people not in urban areas because right. I'm a big proponent of, like, urban culture mm-hmm. and I have a strong distrust of like the midwestern culture like not cleveland like which i don't think is like truly the midwest it sort of like feels like a small town east coast city almost sometimes i mean definitely midwestern in some ways but like missouri where i lived for four years that to me feels like the midwest Mm -hmm. and i would if my kids wanted to move there i'd be like look i'm not going to tell you not to move there but watch out (laughs) also (laughs) i'm not going to bankroll this either yeah and (laughs) i would also i would also definitely advise them against certain kinds of whiteness so that's true like i guess now that more i think about it but it's not that odd for your parents to to sort of – and I think you're right. And, like, a lot of it is probably, like, unconscious. Like, you're just going to talk about things you're not even really I mean, I, I know I'm just going to be conscious it? of it because, yeah. like, uh, I'm very prideful in Vietnamese culture. Yeah. So I'm going to big that up <laughs> super hard. And then right. as a result, like, I trash all other Asian <laughs> cultures because that's just the way you grow up. Because, yeah. like, you know, with the hierarchy, uh, yeah. I don't know if you know this Ali Wong joke, but there's, like, yeah. fancy Asian and then jungle Asian. <laughs> So as a jungle right. Asians, like I, I'm inherently like just built to like be distrustful of other right. Asians. And it's true. If I were talking about Korean culture versus like Japanese culture, it would inevitably I would talk about like how 
fucking awful the Japanese were (laughs) during the second. I mean, I couldn't not bring it up. I'm like, do you know about the so-called comfort women? Like, what the Japanese did? Yeah. (laughs) And that can't help but influence your kid. Yeah, likewise, like, Vietnamese culture is like, don't trust the Chinese because they're always trying to encroach (laughs) on our territory. It's like, do you know what the Japanese did? They tried to take our territory. Uh Like, Koreans, they're kind of feeling themselves a little bit. We got (laughs) to humble them. So it's like, you know, you That's you do weird. it jokingly, but right. uh, kids are like sponges. They'll it, soak yeah, that up and then that, uh, sure. it will perpetuate future generations. And yeah. you got to be okay with that because yeah. we're human and we're flawed and we're going to do that. Yeah. yeah. And you are trying to like extend like the Korean cultural lineage. But, you know, Philippine it, or Vietnamese yeah. and Brazilian. Like we want that to be passed on to our kids. So. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And what's lost is like, you know, you think these things from like a Western perspective, it's like, oh no, you're perpetuating stereotypes and hierarchies. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like <laughs> like these things have worked for our culture for thousands of years <laughs> and the arrogance for us to say, Hey, my way is better is right. like it hasn't been proven yet. Yeah. Either. Well it also ends up becoming potentially like a kind of like a no culture, right? Because, like, yes. in a lot of ways, that's sort I of what that. my parents did. Mm-hmm. Like, they were sort of influencing me in certain regards. Like, oh, don't trust the Japanese. But then mm-hmm. also, like, they didn't teach us the language. And yeah. then they tried to, like, be as open as possible. Didn't indoctrinate, indoctrinate yeah. us in a religion. Yeah. And in some ways, like, whiteified us, you could say. But I think in another way, they just kind of left it as open as possible. Right. In a lot of ways, that was great. But then it left me sort of sort of like grasping for culture. I was like, where do I find culture? And not just Korean culture, but any culture. Right. I think it's important to like establish some kind of firm base to to work off of. And then you can branch off there and grow from there, you know? Uh, Because like sometimes, like I don't, from experiences, uh, just talking to Asians who grew up in East Coast, West Coast, it's like, I don't want people, like my children or any Asian person really to ever feel like they're not part of Asian culture. And like they have to awkwardly assimilate into Asian culture, which is like something that I realize a lot of non-Western, West Coast Asians do. It's like you have to assimilate into your own culture, but like it's yours, but it's not yours at the same time because you didn't have that strong connection or community around it. So like that's a awkward experience. I can only imagine. I don't know what it's like. Well, thank you for doing this podcast. This is a really fun conversation. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me. Again. Didn't really talk about poetry and that's the, fine. the books that I, I planned on, but like this was a much more uh, engaging conversation. Um, yeah. Why don't you tell people where they can find your work um, or where they can follow you on social media? Yeah, you can find my work. I have a website at Jason Yku. That's middle initial Y. It stands for young. Uh, as opposed because JasonKoo.com is taken. I don't know who the... There's a, then there's a Chinese singer named Jason Koo, so don't confuse me with him. <laughs> uh, but if you Google Jason Koo, you'll find a lot of uh, different links to poetry online. You can also obviously find it on my website. Uh, my social media is also Jason Y. Koo, so you can find me on Twitter under that uh, handle or Instagram under that handle. Find me on Facebook. It's Koo.Jason, I think, mm-hmm. is my... I don't think we really have usernames on Facebook, but you'll see it there. Uh, yeah, you can find my work online. You can, I have three different books. You can find that stuff. You can get those books on Amazon. Yeah, read my poetry. I need you to read my poetry. There's not many of Korean American male and buy poets. his poetry. <laughs> Don't just read it. Yeah, buy it. Buy right? it. God damn it. <laughs> all right. Uh, you can find all of that information in the show notes. So that's where I'll leave it. Um, once again, I want to thank Listening Party Presents and Canal Street Radio for providing us a wonderful space to record this podcast. So go on Instagram and follow them at Listening Party Presents and at Canal Street Market. Uh, you can find uh, myself at 
David Nguyen and Emron at Emron the G, uh, and both of us at the Bad Agent Show. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Take care. <laughs>